as we continue our series on the I Am statements. We're looking at I Am Divine today in John 15. Actually, look at the last verse in John 14. Kind of gives you the context. The last phrase, rise, let us go from here. And then some teaching on the vine. These are the last words that Jesus taught his disciples. You know, what somebody says as their last words are very important. Never forget when my dad was very sick in the hospital and I flew up to, to see him, be with him. And I was shaving him with electric razor. He reached up and patted my, my cheeks. I said, oh, Dad, am I hurting you? He said, no. I'm just loving you. Those are the last words my dad ever said to me. I'll never forget those. Amen? What are the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples? What was so important that Jesus stopped his road to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be betrayed? What was so important that he would just stop? As they were walking to the Garden, they walked through the Mount of Olives, it was a valley that was filled with vines, branches. And he stops, and he begins to speak to his disciples about a new purpose in life. Read with me in John 15. I am the true vine. My father is the husband, wine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is, it is, that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So he talks in verse 2 about a barren branch, and he says, he takes it away. Now there we're talking about sin. And then at the end of the verse, he talks about a branch that bears fruit, and he says, if a branch is bearing fruit, he prunes it. Sin, self. In the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the ministry of God as he works in the life of a believer. If there's sin present, he has to discipline us. That's dealing with sin. But if there's fruit, but not more fruit, and not much fruit, 
like we read in the, these five verses. He prunes us. <laughs> we don't like pruning, do we? Another translation says, it, he purges us. In other words, he cuts off all of the stuff that just isn't bearing fruit. We'll be talking about that next Sunday morning. But today, he's talking about bearing fruit. And you'll see in my message notes, every event in life is a fruit issue. Just stop and think about that. Every event in life is a fruit issue. Whatever God allows or brings into my life, it's designed to help me to bear more fruit, to be a more fruitful Christian, to be more effective. And boy, I tell you, we are living in a wicked society. I believe we're living in the last days. Do you know what I mean when I say that? See, the last song we just sang about was talking about being caught up with the Lord. That's called the rapture. That means at any moment, even before I get done preaching, and you're going, yes. <laughs> in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, at the last trump, the trump of God shall sound. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together the, with those who have already passed on, and we will join the Lord in the air. That is a promise. When the Lord will take us away. Now, with that in mind, how should we thus live? We ought to live differently, shouldn't we? Recognizing that, wow, the Bible says that at the last moment, or at any moment, the rapture could take place. Then it describes a period of seven years called the tribulation, where Satan just has tremendous rule and reign. The Holy Spirit is not taken out of the world, but he's taken, his, his, his restraining power is taken away, and Satan and the Antichrist can just have all kinds of power during those seven years. We read in Revelation that there will be a process of buying and selling. It's called the mark of the beast. And those who have, have decided, I don't want the Lord as my Savior, they will take a mark that will allow them to buy and sell. It's interesting, Amazon One came out in July with information saying, we are now allowing palms to be read. 200 Whole Foods food stores right now are using that system to buy their products. But the article said, that's just the beginning. In your palm, not only will be financial information, but there'll also be medical information, identity information. I read that and I got excited. Amen? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. If we indeed are living in the last days, are you ready? Are you ready to meet the Lord? 
You see, these verses that we're talking about today and next Sunday are talking about fruit. But there's no way for you to have fruit unless you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Unless there's been a time in your life when you have repented of your sin, believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin, and ask him to personally become your Savior and establish a relationship. I'm not talking about church membership. I'm not talking about baptism or anything else. It is a relationship after you have put your faith and trust in Christ and he's become your personal Savior. If that has never happened, you may be what's described in Matthew chapter 25 as a person who is associating with believers all the time. You may enjoy coming to church. You may enjoy going to the ISF meetings on Friday night. Maybe the Bible studies at, uh, at John and Anna Wu's house on Saturday night. Maybe you enjoy being around those kind of things. But you've never trusted Christ. Turn your Bible to Matthew 25. It's a parable that Jesus taught, and when, whenever Jesus was, was trying to get a spiritual truth across, he would tell a, an earthly story, it was called a parable, with a heavenly meaning. And in this verse, these verses, he's trying to help people understand, you need to be ready to meet the Lord. Notice verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, back in the day, when a girl was going to get married, <laughs> she never knew when the bridegroom was going to come and get her, bring her back to his father's house, and the wedding ceremony would take place in his father's house, and then he would have prepared a house beside his father's house where they would then live. But the bride would never know when the groom was going to come. So she had to be ready. Not only she, but also all the girls that were going to be with her. So that's what's being described here. It so it says in verse number two, five of these virgins were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Doesn't that sound like the condition of our country? Apathy, spiritual sleeping, no care attitude. And then notice, then uh, at midnight there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us uh, some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. What are the next words? And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, 
I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know not neither the day nor the hour. What a sad story. But the truth is there. There will be some folks who have associated with believers, love being with them. But when life comes to an end, or when the Lord comes back to get us and to take us home, I'll never forget, years ago a song came out entitled One Day Too Late. I never thought I'd see the day when you'd come to kneel and pray. I never thought I'd see the hour. I talked about somebody who came to church and the Christians were gone. And you came one day too late. Well, when I first heard that song, a chill went up my, my spine like, oh my goodness, can, can you imagine coming to church, getting out and kind of looking around and saying, I wonder where, we used to have a lot of cars in this parking lot, I wonder, I wonder where they are. Oh, well, Pastor David will be here. Pastor David's not here. In fact, the doors are locked. Josh, you're not even here, amen? <laughs> Molly's not even here. Why? Because all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, gone. The Bible says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. How long does it take you to twinkle your eye? Good. Seven one-hundredths of a second. That's how quickly the rapture will take place. Too quick for anybody to pray Lord, save me. No, no, you don't have time. Because when you realize what's happened, it's one day too late. And the Bible says here, the door was shut. And the message will be, I never knew you. Now, it doesn't say, I used to know you, but I don't anymore. That's not what it says. It says, I never knew you. In other words, there was no relationship ever present. The question before we get into the fruit issue is, has there ever been a time in your life that you have personally repented of your sin? You don't have to necessarily remember a date, but do you remember a time when you have asked the Lord, please forgive my sin. I know you died on the cross for me. I'm putting my faith and trust in what you did for me, for my salvation to be purchased. If there's never been a time in your life when that's happened, wouldn't today be a wonderful day? Amen? And all of us that know Christ, all of us that have, have, our, have our sins forgiven, all of us that have that hope within us and the joy and the purpose in life, we're going, amen. We would love to be able to show you this is how you can come to Christ. Now, once that happens, then the Lord gives you a new purpose in life. And that purpose is to grow fruit. Now, <laughs> what's, he, what's he saying here? Go back to John chapter 15. He's saying that Jesus is the vine. That's a very thick trunk that grows out of the ground. 
And then he says, the vine dresser keeps this, this vine at waist length. And he's got trellises. And so the, the, the huge vine comes out of the ground, and then the branches spread out. And so the vine dresser comes along, and he, he ties these branches to the trellises, and they spread out, and they're all about waist length, so the vine dresser can take good care of the vines and the fruit. Now, the father then is the wine dresser. We see that. So God the Father is the one that brings about fruit in your life. And you can write this down. He does whatever is necessary to produce fruit. Whatever is necessary to produce fruit. Now, you would think that fruit is just natural. It would just automatically take place. But ironically, as we read this chapter, we see that some don't bear any fruit, some a little, some more, some much. But if we're not growing fruit, then God is going to step in. Why? Because he loves you. And the greatest purpose in life is when your life is demonstrating fruit. Now, what is fruit? Some people have said, well, fruit is leading people to Christ. That's one aspect. But turn to Titus chapter 3 and verse 14. Titus chapter 3 and verse 14. Interesting verse. He says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be what? Unfruitful. Good works, fruit. And so we can see then that, that uh, there's some good works. Then notice in Galatians chapter 5, here we read about the inner fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. In other words, if the Holy Spirit dwells within us, these are the characteristics that will be evident, that he will be working on developing in your life. Now notice it doesn't say fruits. It is one fruit. One fruit. And that one fruit can be seen in a number of different ways. And the first one is love. That means before you got saved, the people that you uh, just couldn't stand, you just kind of maybe biased against them. Prejudiced would be another word. You know what happens when you get saved? The Holy Spirit through his spirit, causes you to begin to love people that are different from you. Amen? One of my best friends is an African-American whom I love dearly. <laughs> you know what? His mansion's probably going to be right next to mine in heaven. Amen? 
And when God, the Holy Spirit, moves in, he gives us a love for people that prior to that time, we kind of went, eh. And now instead of, yeah, it's, mm. Are you with me? Oh, but it goes on to say, joy. Joy. That's the enduring attitude that you have in your heart, regardless of what your circumstances are. Happiness is based on happenstance. It's based on circumstances. If things are going well or not, that's happiness. But this is joy. And regardless of what trials you're going through, the doctor may have told you something that shocked you. Can you still have joy? I can't hear you. There's nobody here but us, so we can talk. <laughs> can, you, can you still have joy? When the doctor says, eh, doesn't look really well. You kind of go, oh well, can't threaten me with heaven. <laughs> Amen? Oh, but go on. Peace. See, that's something that the world can't give you. Through all of their drugs and alcohol and sex and, 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 and everything else, they can't give you peace. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, far away in the depths of my spirit tonight rolls a melody sweeter than song. It's celestial-like strains, they unceasingly fall o'er my soul like an infinite calm. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Amen? Peace. Oh, and, and then <laughs> patience. Do we need patience? How many of you are married? Let me see your hands. Do you need patience to be married? Both hands are now up. <laughs> Where do you get patience? The Holy Spirit. Amen. So when we lack patience, we say, Lord, that fruit is a little limp today. I need your controlling spirit over my tongue. If you can think of the perfect comeback and not say it, that's maturity. <laughs> Hello? Right? Patience comes from God. Oh, and then it goes on to say kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, these are all inner fruits that John 15 is talking about. Outer fruit, good works. Inner fruit, all these characteristics. You know, when I consider outer fruit or good works, <laughs> I'm reminded that I should have the opportunity to try to bring God into the conversation throughout my regular week activities, amen? That should be my prayer every day. Lord, somehow 
during the course of my conversations today, help me to bring God into the conversation. When you go to school, can you bring God into your conversation with your friends? See, the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How do they glorify your Father which is in heaven? How do they know it's, it's God doing the work? You have to bring God into the conversation. You have to tell them how God is helping you, how he is blessing you, how he's controlling you. And bringing God into the conversation gives you the opportunity then to to witness. That's one of the outer fruits. Another one is giving financially to the gospel, to expanding the gospel. Numbers of ways you can do that. One Hope Church, giving financially in your support to get the gospel not only here but around the world through emissions outreaches. That's fruit. Or inviting friends to activities and, and services here at the church. We had Friend Day uh, a few months ago. What a thrill it was for many of you to invite your friends. And guess what? They heard the gospel. A seed was planted. Amen? Or how about inviting your friends over to your home and simply say, uh, we're going to have some discussions about life issues uh, that, that lead to biblical truth. What kind of life issues are your friends dealing with? Well, bring them into your home. Have some coffee and, and, and uh, cheesecake. That's going to be in heaven. Cheesecake. Because in heaven there are no calories. Amen? All right, so, so that's going to be right there on the, on the tree of life. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so, so but, but inviting folks into your home. And, and whatever issues they're dealing with, anger, bitterness, forgiveness, inviting them into your home and simply saying, would you like to kind of have an idea of what God may have to say about these issues that you're facing? You see, it's fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And so, in John chapter 15, it says, if I'm not bearing fruit, that's a result of sin, then he will discipline me. If I'm bearing fruit, then he will prune me to deal with self-issues, issues of myself, my priorities. We'll be talking about that next Sunday. So notice then, this new purpose in life. Every event in life is a fruit issue. Now, it's really interesting, it says here in, in verse number two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, what does that mean? So notice it's a branch in me. You see those two words, in me? So the Bible says, if any man be in me, he is a new creature. So we're talking about a believer. So we're talking about a believer that doesn't bear fruit. 
Circle the words takes away. Now I encourage you to write in your Bible. So get a pen, get a pencil. In the margin of your Bible, circle the words takes away and write lifts up in the margin of your Bible. The phrase takes away is never talking about losing your salvation. He's talking about not bearing fruit. See, in John 15 and verse 24, excuse me, John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say unto you, whosoever hears my word and believes on him that sent me has eternal life. I love that. It doesn't say you will die and find out if you have eternal life. Has is a present tense verb. That means right now, you have, it doesn't say will have eternal life. It says whoever believes in me, you right now presently have something that's going to last forever. Oh, then it goes on to say, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. You never lose your salvation. So, what's he talking about in John 15? Where, where he says, he takes them away. Well, first of all, the expression takes away is a Greek word, airo, A-I-R-O. And I knew you'd want to hear some Greek, just so you'd come to church and say, bless God, I learned a Greek word today. Airo. What does it mean then when it says that he takes it away? It means he lifts it up. That's another translation for the verb airo. For instance, Jot down Matthew 27, 32. You remember when Jesus was carrying his cross on the way to Mount Calvary, and he fell. And the Roman soldier then looked around and saw a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene, and he said, come over here. Carry this man's cross. When Simon of Cyrene lifted up the cross, the term Iro was used. It doesn't mean he cut off the cross. He didn't, it doesn't mean he put away the cross or he cast away the cross. It means he lifted up the cross to carry it. Same Greek word. Also, in Matthew 14, 20, when Jesus was talking about the feeding of the 5,000, at the end of all that, he said to his disciples, now go around and pick up the baskets of the fragments. They picked up 12 baskets of fragments. The term pick up is iro. They lifted them up and they put them in the baskets. They didn't throw them away. They didn't cut them off. But they simply lifted them up. So you can see then that this term first of all means that he is lifting up the branch. That's the first step. We see the vine dresser leaning over picking that branch up out of the mud, out of the mire. See, because every branch has a natural tendency to kind of droop down on the ground, but, but no fruit can ever be grown down on the ground. They get no sunshine. And so it gets muddy and the growth stops. So the vine dresser reaches down, picks it up, washes off the fruit, wraps it onto the trellis so that it won't fall down again. And that's the meaning of the term 
every branch in me that is not bearing fruit, he lifts you up. Aren't you so grateful that when the Lord sees sin in your life, he doesn't cut you off? Amen? Did you sin this last week? <laughs> Did you sin today? Right? That's usually the question, right? And the Lord cares so much for us that he's constantly in the washing process. Somebody put it this way. God takes us into deep waters not to drown us, but to cleanse us. God takes us into deep waters. Sometimes the circumstances that you and I are going through feel like they're deep waters, amen? It's not to drown you. It's to cleanse you. Because he loves you. And he wants you to bear fruit. Because only when you bear fruit is there a fulfillment in life. Why are we here? It's not to get new cars. It's not to get a bigger house. It's not to get a fancier fountain pen. It's not to get the new iPhone. Why are you here? It's to bear fruit. Amen? So the question is, are you bearing fruit? And so, if you're not bearing fruit, the Lord will have to discipline you. Now, I hate it when my parents had to discipline me. And sad to say, that was all the time. Uh, if something came to my mind, it came out my mouth. I got kicked out of fourth grade. I got kicked out of fifth grade. I got spanked by my fifth grade teacher, by the principal, and the principal said, do not come back to school tomorrow unless you bring your parents. I thought, great. I don't want to come back to school. So I thought, all right, I've got to pass. Then the principal called my dad. He what? He did what? Oh, he did. I got three spankings that day. The old nature is just uh, <laughs> it's constantly there, amen? But you know, discipline doesn't stop when we become adults. Hello? Do you know when I get angry and don't deal with that anger with forgiveness... The Bible says in Hebrews 12, it's like burying that anger and then a root of bitterness develops. And whenever there's a root, eventually there's going to be a fruit. Now the root is hidden for a while. And you can hide your bitterness for a while, but after a while, the Bible says it springs up troubles you 
and defiles everybody else around you. Hebrews chapter 12. Bitterness. So consequently, the Lord loves you so much, he doesn't want you to be troubled. He doesn't want your family and your friends to, to be infected with your bitterness. And that's why the moment that anger takes place, you need to take it to Christ and say, Lord, I forgive that person. That means I will take the hurt. I will let them go free. I will begin to pray for them like Jesus did on the cross for those who were crucifying him. And I will look beyond the pain to the gain, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And when you and I begin to look beyond the hurt and we simply say, what good could God possibly bring out of this hurt? How can God help me to become more of an effective witness? How can I help other people who are going through the same kind of hurt and tell them who God is? And that's what you need to discover. Studying the names of God. This is who God is. And as you share with them, this is who I discovered God is when I was angry and developing bitterness. And God's able to use that testimony to bring them to forgiveness as well. Bitterness, gossip. Now, we don't ever gossip, do we? We just share prayer requests. Right? It's kind of like these two old ladies that were talking to each other, and one of them said, Now listen carefully, Mabel, because I promise not to repeat this. You'll get that later. Gossip. You ever gossip? You ever realize that that's sin? You're down in the mud, not bearing any fruit. How about worry? I was doing well before I mentioned that one, right? Worry. Mm. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Doesn't sound like you can worry and give thanks. Amen? It says, in everything give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.13 Well, I'm thinking of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to the way you understand things. In all your ways acknowledge him. And what will happen? He'll direct your paths. How much do we acknowledge him during the course of our daily activities? Hello? You with me? It is so easy for us to say, I got this, Lord. <laughs> Verse 5 says, without me you can do nothing. And the sooner we learn that, the more we will begin to say, Lord, you heard what they said. How should I respond? Lord, you see the circumstances just turned the wrong way. 
how should I respond? Lord, that person just, how should I think? What should my attitude be? Lord, I just lost this amount of money. Are you trying to cure me of materialism? You with me? In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. And see, sometimes we try to cling on to these things. And when we do so, and the Lord says, nope, nope, got to get rid of that sin, pain is often involved when I just simply say, I'm sorry. That's an area of my life that I'm going to control. And the Lord says, oh boy. I don't know if he says, oh boy, but. <laughs> we can be so stubborn, can't we? And he says, this needs to go. This needs to change. This needs to be added to your life. And if we refuse, and we're a believer, then pain is often involved. So the new purpose in life is to grow fruit for the cause of Christ. But if I resist the way he, work, he wants to work, the Bible says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? When I get proud and say, nope, that's not going to change, the Lord says, okay, resist. And everything I try to do, God resists me. Why doesn't this work out? Humble yourself, and he will lift you up. Amen? So the choice is ours. Stay proud. Have God to resist you, or humble yourself. Repent of your sin, and God gives you grace. God gives you just an amazing amount of change. And I'm here to tell you that Satan wants you to feel like when you are clinging on to that sin, Satan wants you to feel like you're just nothing but a loser. I'm here to tell you that's not the way God feels. Because if God considered you to be a loser, he would just walk away. But praise God, he doesn't. It says in these verses, no, 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 no. The vine dresser does not just walk away. He leans down and he lifts you out of the mud. Amen? Would you bow your head together in prayer?